If you haven't been with us, we've been going through this series. This is week four. We've kind of been taking a chapter at a time. It's worked out that way. It may not the whole way through. We'll find out. Um, But uh, the series in Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been searching with his five senses to find meaning under the sun. He asks the big question, what's the purpose to everything that we do? Does our life here on earth have any value or significance? And what we see into the first three chapters is there's a whole lot of meaningless. In fact, everything under the sun is meaningless. And our only hope is beyond the sun where God is. Uh, this morning, I wanted to start by talking about a man named Simon Wiesenthal. Simon Wiesenthal survived the Holocaust of World War II. But Simon's faith died somewhere in the Nazi concentration camp. He told this story of a Nazi commander who shackled two Jewish um, prisoners back to back. And without getting overly graphic, he took a revolver, placed it in the mouth of one of the men, and with one bullet killed two men. And the Nazi turned to his corporals and he said, See, I told you there was no need to waste bullets. You can kill two of them with one. And Simon is watching all of this firsthand, and in his conclusion that he wrote later was this. He said, when I saw the oppression and the wickedness and the injustice of that act, I couldn't comprehend it, and I turned from God. I couldn't comprehend it, and I turned from God. This is the kind of oppression that Solomon opens chapter 4 with. He says, again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power is on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And Solomon says he suggests that the two Jews that were that were mercilessly 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 slaughtered in the concentration camp. It would have been better had they not even been born. And the same went for the millions that were slaughtered, the unspeakable oppression that they saw. And the loss of faith in God is is tragic, but in Wiesenthal's case, it is understandable. And sometimes, life is unthinkably difficult. But the hardest part is when there is no answer as to why it is so hard. And, you know, my my first week on the job, which was really just about a month ago... um, you know, I was kind of excited about kind of easing into the, the, the situation here at the church, um, kind of taking it a day at a time, um, not putting too much on my plate right away. But Saturday night, before I was even full-time, I got a phone call. There had been a suicide. Game on, right? Game on. And as I walked through that extremely difficult, tragic time with that family hurting and weeping with a million why questions, the best answer I could give them was, I don't know. 
I don't know. I wish that I could give you a full and a satisfying answer, but I can't. And the best that I could do was to hug them and weep with them. See, one of the things that, that bugs me about the Christian subculture is what I like to call easy fixism, okay? And what, what will happen, like for example, I was looking on Amazon and I found this book, Emotional Healing in Three Easy Steps by Praying Medic, okay? First of all, that's not a name, okay? That's not even, that's a, well, we won't, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, but there, there, are, there are not three easy steps to emotional healing. I don't like any part of that sentence. And for the record, it was free on Amazon Kindle, so you can do whatever you want with that. Um, but, but praying medic, like, I mean, what happens if you do these three easy things and you don't find emotional healing? Like, like what happens? I mean, if praying medic says, listen, read your Bible more, pray more, you know, tithe, you're gross, you know, whatever it is, and so then, and then you, Jesus will show up, like, in the flesh, and he will hug you, okay, and everything is just going to be okay, or your free money back, right, and so then you do those three things, but Jesus doesn't show up, and he doesn't hug you, and you don't get your refund. Now, you're, you're left feeling either that you were lied to, or even worse, something's wrong with you, like, you're broken. The steps were fine, but you couldn't complete them. And some of you, I mean, some of us, we, we get to, to church and we look around and people seem to be experiencing these things that we're not experiencing. Like, we stand to sing and people are, like, closing their eyes and they have their hands up. Not as much at our church, but places where they'll have their hands up and they're worshiping and you're going, what, what, are, these, what are these people see that I don't see? Or, you know, the pastor gets up and starts preaching and people are looking at their, they're looking in their Bibles and like, yeah, preach on, Justin, that's so good. You know, and taking, like, 40 pages of notes and you're kind of looking around going, well, what am I missing? What am I missing why aren't the steps that easy for me? Why do I still feel empty and broken? And Solomon here, he shares in your feelings. And he's not just going to slap the band-aid on to the missing appendage. And he, he, last chapter, he was weirdly positive, wasn't he? Remember, he said, listen, all things, there's a time for everything under the sun. He said, God is making all things beautiful in his time. He's created, he set eternity in our hearts. Because, of course, we know that the Bible, I mean, God's word has answers. Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, and yet it's not just some quick and easy fix. And in this chapter, what he does, he doesn't offer answers to our problems. What he's going to give us is a survival guide to get through, to endure life's oppression and problems. And he's going to be extremely practical. Solomon starts out here with some fuzzy math, okay? He says one plus one is greater than two. One plus one is greater than two. He says two are better than one. We're going to jump ahead to verse nine. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now, can we talk about that for a second? Um, any of the single guys here who are like, if Hubba's, he's highlighting that verse, like, I'm going to use that later this week. Like, look, baby, it says right here, Ecclesiastes 4, me and you. No, you guys are pigs. That's not, that's not the application for this verse. And we'll get to that in a moment. But we live in, in, this, in this world, he goes on to say in verse 12, though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
We live in this world of, of oppression and injustice. We see it all around us. And in the midst of this, Solomon says we need each other. We desperately, deeply, with Christ in the center, need each other. And so he unpacks this. The first one he says is, two are better than one for working. We'll see four things here. Two are better than one for working. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Um, This means they get more out of their labor, a greater reward, a greater sense of accomplishment. I thought about this, an example of my own life, um, back in 2007, which can you believe that that was almost 10 years ago? Um, 2007, I was an intern here at the church, and we took the youth group down to Mississippi for this youth conference. Um, and it was just in the wake of uh, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina still, and we went down there, and a project that we worked on was building uh, houses. We were building houses. This is the lady in the middle with the white shirt. She's the non-teenager, not making a weird face. Um, Who's anybody? Oh, there's Jesse up there. You might see. I'm the one with the big muscles on the right. Um, so we, uh, we start rebuilding. And let me tell you, this work experience was a recipe for disaster and misery. I mean, it was approximately 4 billion degrees outside, right, in the summer in Mississippi. I don't remember if that was Celsius or Fahrenheit. Um, and you give a bunch of hormone-raging teenagers power tools, which is what they have no experience with, and say go for it, um, and I'm the leader, <laughs> um, but have you ever noticed how in, in a situation like that, how these strong friendships can develop, um, these connections, I mean, I remember specifically connecting with Michael Thornton and Keith and Carl Strom, and really was a turning point in our relationship going forward, and got into some, some amazing things, it all started that afternoon, um, and what could have been miserable ended up being a blast. We would take turns underneath there. You can see the shade. We would hide out underneath there and play games and, and mess around. Um, I remember the boys found uh, a frog. And the Alaskans, their just eyes got like, what is this thing? I'm like, don't eat it, okay? And they, they were trying, as you can see. Um, and so, you know, they were having this amazing time um, laughing and bonding. And what we built was more than just a house. I think you can spend, you know, years together in an office setting, um, you know, you could casually know somebody at church, but you give one afternoon of some yard work, uh, you go on a trip, a mission trip, and you, you put a roof up together, and, and there's this thing about, I don't know what it is exactly that the Lord uses with sweat and just work, but it can bring people together in a way that other things just can't, and You know, it can be easier, right? It can be easier at times just to do it ourselves. I got this. I know the way I want it. But but there's this synergy that comes when you share in the work together. And Solomon says there's a greater reward that comes of it. That one plus one is greater than two. The sum of the parts is not as great as the whole. Second one, he says two are better than one for walking. He applies this. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But, any, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. When I, when I read this verse, I immediately thought about um, this, one of my favorite stories. Um, Jim and Kim Webb, you guys know them. I didn't give her a heads up. It's their son, Corey. Okay, when he was in high school, well, we, we went to this Bible camp called uh, Tenalian. Some of you know it. It's across the inlet in Port Allsworth. And it's the mid-90s, so Corey's probably wearing a lot of teal and purples and listening to a Walkman. And he decides to go out on a trail all by himself. So he's hiking down this trail where he falls. He falls off this steep precipice. And he is hanging on literally for his own life. 
Like if he lets go, there's nothing below him, and he's, there's no one around to help him up. Well, I don't know how much longer the time passed before Steve Milliron comes jogging along, one of the counselors, comes jogging down the path. If you don't know Steve, he's the Ali Ostrander of K-Beach uh, Path out there, uh, when Ali's not here to, to claim that title. Um, so he comes jogging along, and he looks, and he sees Corey just dangling off, and he looks down, and he just, start, and he just runs in place. He reaches down, picks Corey up, and then the best part of the story, he just keeps right on running. Like, he doesn't, it's not like, oh my gosh, are you okay? He's like, no, I got to make my time, you know. So he just keeps going. Here's Corey just dumbfounded in this heap of sweat and gratitude. Just like, what just happened? Two are better than one because you can pick them up when they've fallen. And I think Solomon's point is this. If we do life together, then we can help each other when we fall. Because each of us are weak and prone to fall in different areas of our lives. And each of us have different blind spots. And here's the thing about blind spots. You can't see them, right? Like, that's why they're called blind spots. And we need other people in our lives. One of the ways I think God extends his grace to us and provides for us is to have friends in our lives who love us enough, who love us enough to say, look, man, you could be wrong here, but I'm seeing this thing. And you got to be careful you got to watch out. This is harmful. This is destructive. Or the times when we do fall and we need someone to pick us up and say, I've been there. And I still love you. And we'll get through this together. See, I've found few people have friends like that that love us enough to confront us when we need it and to comfort us when we need it. Number three, it says two are better than one for warmth. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now, this one, I really had to go off of word of mouth, um, you know, kind of the science behind it. I haven't done too much of this myself, although um, Jacob and I have shared some cold nights and tents before, and let's just say that desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> now, as, as hardy Alaskans, like, we can resonate with this, right? Like, it's, we know cold nights, unlike our pansy friends in the South, right, who are like, you know, it's 45, we're freezing in the winter, like, whatever, um, but, but I think the literal meaning, I think Solomon, it's beyond just the, the body heat. Um, he says, listen, when winter comes for you, when the cold, hard seasons that he sends from last week, he sends into our lives, when they come, no matter how cold it is, being truly known by others, being truly known by others will keep you warm. will keep you warm. And the fourth one, he says, two are better than one for watch care. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. When I thought of this one, I like, pictured myself in a Bruce Lee film, you know, and you got bad guys all around you, and I'm no Bruce Lee, so I could be overpowered pretty easily. But if I get another guy who's got my back, like George Martin, he's behind me now, like, bring it on, bad guys, right? We're high-kicking, karate-chopping. And then he says, in fact, three are better than two. So we bring Blair up with us and his wingspan, and we're really cooking with gas, right? And we can take down anybody. Um, but, but listen, he says, you, and you might be sitting here hearing these things and go, yeah, preach it, Justin. I need someone to get my back. I need someone to help me up when I'm falling. Amen. You tell those people to be my friends. 
Well, I'd encourage you the same way I did when I had a fifth grade girl come up to me on the playground last um, semester when I was student teaching and said, no one is being my friend. And what did I tell her? What did I tell her? You know, we need to work more on being friends than people being friends to us, right? I mean, it, it, we, it is really an elementary concept. Um, and Solomon himself says this in Proverbs. He says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. If we're not first working on whose back do we have, who are we helping up when they fall, and all we're waiting and we're calling out the injustice that no one cares about me, well, who am I caring about? And Dale Carnegie said it this way, we can make more friends in two months of showing interest in others than in two years of trying to get them interested in us. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't have that kind of community, my word, Solomon's word of encouragement to you is initiate that. Be a friend to someone else. Well, we know, we know this, right? Like none of this is news to us. We, we, we get, we know, like, I mean, to me, for me to be up here and to tell you, hey, people are more important than your job, than money, you know, um, we, we need to emphasize relationships. We know that, right? We, I mean, the New Testament's littered with the one another passages. Love one another, confess to one another, bear each other's burdens, do life. I mean, we, we get that all the time, the, the call to relationship. So if we know this, though, why do we so seldom walk in this? Like, why is true, intimate, honest community so difficult for us? Well, we go back. I skipped over verses 4 to 8. We're going to go back to those verses, and we're going to look at four what I call community killers, four things that are hurdles, that are snares for us as we try to do life together as believers. First community killer is envy, okay, envy. Verse 4, he says, And I saw all that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Do you catch what he said there? The hard work that we do, the things that we're trying to achieve, why do we do them? Because of envy. And ask yourself this, honestly. The clothes that you're wearing or that you're going to be wearing this week, do you wear those because you need those clothes or because you want to be noticed in them? Like, if it really was just you, this utilitarian, like, I know it's inappropriate to be naked, so I'm going to cover up, like, we would just put on burlap sacks probably, right? Like, we'd buy whatever is the cheapest, like, easiest thing, and we would just wear it. Not J. Crew or crew or whatever, I don't know, the bling and the whole, the whole thing. What about, why do we work out? Why do we diet? Like, is it really just for health purposes? Or is there a part of us that likes to be like, yeah, the exit's that way, right? Sun's out, gun's out. Or like, you know, somebody's like, oh, you lost weight. Oh, you think I lost weight? I don't know. I just must have a low metabolism. I don't, couldn't tell you. I mean, and, and maybe, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to generalize here, and I'm not saying that every choice that we make is based on that reason, and, and, may, and some, we all play different games. For some of us, it might be the spiritual card that we're trying to be the best at, or, or wisdom, or how well we parent. I don't, I don't know what the game is that each of us is playing, but at the center of our fleshly hearts, we want attention, we want to be validated, we want to be noticed, we want to keep up with the Joneses. Honestly, ask yourself this question. Have you ever found yourself celebrating at someone else's failure? I mean, we don't like to, that's an ugly thought, but do you celebrate when others fall? Yeah, me neither. I don't know. I've, I've read about it. It's terrible. Um, or what about 
in your deep, quiet spaces in your heart, are you mad when someone else succeeds? Do you get frustrated at others' success? I don't like that guy. Why? I don't know. I just don't like him. Envy derails any chance that we have at real Christ-centered community. One body that laughs together and cries together. We're called from Scripture to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And listen, to try to pretend to try to pretend, like, I'm so happy he got that promotion, or, oh, I'm so bummed that they fell. Um, that pretending and that mask wearing, it prevents us from genuine, honest relationship. It's the first community killer. Second one is laziness. The one on the left takes a little bit, but you'll get it. You'll, you, it'll, it'll come to you. Um, we, uh, second one, he says, the first one's envy. Second one, it's, it's laziness. Look, verse 5. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. He's talking about just sitting back and doing nothing, okay? Now, um, do I have any married people here in the house this morning? You know, woot woot for marriage? Yeah, all right. Um, let me, now listen. M- getting married is easy, right? I mean, getting married, apparently, um, not all of us. Uh, getting married... <laughs> Getting married is easy. You sign a piece of paper, right? The technical aspect of marriage is very simple. But true intimacy in a marriage is hard work. Hard, hard work. No one just stumbles into, you don't trip over your Bible. You're like, oh, I, I know you and I'm fully known and everything's wonderful. Um, empowered by the Spirit, and not just marriages, all relationships, true intimacy must be worked for, it must be fought for, it must be paid for. And lazy people can never know true community. And the reason is because they're always sucking the life out of other people. They're always taking and never giving. But true intimate relationships require giving of your time and your energy and your emotions and your consideration and your thoughts. It takes work. You know, I've found the older I've gotten, the, the more difficult it is. When we were in high school or college, you know, grade school, you're just all together all the time with your buddies, your peers and stuff. You're like held hostage by the teacher, you know, in the same classroom. But as you get older, and I, you know, all my friends are getting married, and, and, and you start working and, and schedules and children, and, the, and what happens is we have to be a lot more intentional to find community where we need to set aside times. And it's weird at first, where you're like, you know, a buddy that used to always hang up with, that you have to look for that time. Hey, Friday night, are you free? Let's get together at this, or our home group. So the things that we do, they need to be intentional. They take work, because we don't just kind of, by naturally throughout the week, experience this intimacy with each other. It must be worked for. The third one is dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction, verse 6. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Solomon says, look, one hand with peace and contentment is better than always striving and chasing after that second handful. Always dissatisfied, always moving forward, always wanting more. Matt Chandler said it this way, if you're always in the future, you never are where you are. If you're always in the future, you never are where you are. And I remember talking to this couple once. Um, They were in their mid to late 30s. 
and they had both gone through grad school and worked very hard at that. They had gotten married, and then they were in the process of starting a family, of having children. And they said to me, they said, man, I can't wait, you know, until we finally have our children and all of this other stuff has occurred, and then life can finally happen. Then life can finally start. And I thought, how sad that they've seen these last 40 years as just sort of treading water until when life can really happen. And we know the problem with that. Then you're always looking forward to the diploma and to the ring and to the pregnancy. And before you know it, you're looking forward to retirement. And then you're in the grave and you never experienced even one handful of tranquility. And here's how this kills community. When you're dissatisfied, you start placing blame on other people for that dissatisfaction, right? It's certainly not my fault, right? And then no one else is good enough, and we are stuck looking for that better day with no chance of enjoying God-given relationships and community now. The last one is work. Verse 7, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun, and we're going to see how, see, you might say, well, if it's not laziness, then work. Well, here's how both of those end up being wind-chasing There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. A man pursuing work at the expense of people. Um, Pastor Larry gave me the permission to share about this. I don't remember if he had shared this from the pulpit or if this was just something that he and I had talked about, but in his early days of ministry, this is, um, he was at an anchorage at Grace Community, or at Gra- at Anchorage Grace, sorry. He starts this church, and I'll tell you what, you want to talk about a success story of a church. Started very small, and it grew like gangbusters. People coming, you know, in droves every week, adding, 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 new buildings, um, developing a school, you know, it is Grace Christian today, still a thriving uh, school in there in Anchorage, and all of these things that are going on that have been easy to go, that's amazing, but it came at a cost. Larry found himself working 80 hours a week at the expense of time spent with his wife and his two very small children. And that's time that he will never be able to recover. And he doesn't look back on that time in his ministry as success. In fact, that is the time that he looks back on with more regret than any of the other churches that he's pastored at that never came anywhere close to the size and grandeur of that first experience. And I want to be sensitive here as far as emphasizing work, because I know there are some who are just struggling to make ends meet and who are picking up extra shifts. The, the point of what Solomon's saying here and the thing that kills community is when we are career-driven, when we are working toward whatever end at whatever cost to the people in our lives that matter most. Now, you might say, well, how do we avoid these community killers How do we get into this kind of community, into these kind of relationships that we're being called into? And kind of where I want to land the plane here this morning is to simply say, take a step. Take a step. And it can even be a baby step. Um, Maybe you're new. Uh, Maybe you've been coming to PGBC for a little while, but you're still kind of looking around and going, how do I get plugged in? Like afterward, you're seeing all these little groups of people kind of yucking it up, and you're just kind of standing there awkwardly. Well, I'm just going to leave. Um you know, is there some kind of secret handshake? Like, how do I get in? And I regrettably, no. I wish there was. I tried to get one started at softball last summer, and it never took off, unfortunately. Um, 
but there is no handshake. All I can do, and which is frustrating for me to a degree, um, is point us in a direction, point you in a direction. I can't wave a magic wand and see us all in honest, intimate community by Thursday. Um, and for some, this, this road toward community will take two weeks. For some, it'll take a decade. But, but, and I don't know where each of us are on in that path, but what I can say is, seek and you will find. God's design for us is community. In fact, I think the gospel removed from the context of community ceases to be the gospel. And, and so God wants it for us more than we want it. And so like we said, focus on how can I be a friend to someone else, come alongside them. Um, now for some of you, you have come for a week or two or more, and, and you've kind of hated it. You don't like the service. You're like, man, this Frankino, he couldn't preach to the choir, right? I haven't agreed with a single thing he said theologically. There's Jacob Cat up here leading worship. I'm out. I don't like the bongos, okay? It's a djembe. <laughs> and this gym is ugly, right? It is outdated. It was built in the 90s. and you haven't done a thing with it. I am out on this church. And listen, maybe this isn't the place for you. And to that, I actually, I say awesome. Awesome. Like, we would love you to be here, but if this isn't the place for you, my heart is that you get plugged in somewhere. Not that you have to get plugged in here. There's one kingdom. We are all working for the same goal. And if there's somewhere you can find that's better for you and your family to get plugged in, praise God that another church gets a great family, a great guy, a great girl. Don't leave right now. Let's, we haven't taken the offering yet. Um, but... Or maybe you've been coming here and you're like, man, this, this is resonating with me. Um, this is a place that I'd like to plug into, but you don't know how. Well, a great place to start, um, I think, a next step from our Sunday morning services um, is our weeknight uh, home groups. If you get, grab your bulletin, grab your bulletin, and if you, if you grabbed one. If you didn't, that means you didn't give Mary Jean a hug. Shame on you. Um, <laughs> pull that bulletin out and check that in that little insert there. Now, we're not, I mean, hey, this is an advertisement. We don't make money off of these things. So I, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm trying to get us ways to get plugged in. And in the middle there, you'll see Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, each weeknight, we have uh, a small group of some form where we can press in deeper into this relationship thing. Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, you'll see in there, we have there are four different home groups that meet, two on Mondays, and then one on Tuesday, and one on Thursday. And then Wednesday nights, we have men's groups. We have, women, we have a men's group, a women's group. Uh, for children, we have get-togethers. We have youth, all ages, genders, blood types. Like, we got it covered, okay? Um, there's phone numbers in there. Maybe for you, the step this week is to call one of those numbers and say, I would like to press deeper into real relationship. How do I get started? For some of us, there might be a different step. For some of us, it might mean uh, maybe you've been a part of a home group or some kind of leadership, and God's saying, I want you to take a step forward into leadership and lead your own home group or lead your own Bible study or, or, or pull someone aside and say, hey, I want to be in a, a mentoring relationship or be mentored by you and do more kind of real, genuine discipleship and, and meet together and be accountable with each other. Some of us, we need to restore relationships that have been broken by some of those community killers. Maybe you're experiencing laziness or dissatisfaction, or, or you're focused on work, or there's envy that is just driving everything that you do, and you're exhausted. And I don't know what it is that the Spirit's pressing on your heart, what step he's calling you to take into this deeper community. 
And there, there are options we have here. There are also, we as a church want to always do better at, at, at providing more opportunities to, to point us into. Um, this, this spring in, in April, I'm excited about some things coming up. We're going to be getting together as a leadership retreat and talking about our vision and our goals. Where are we going as a church? Where is, more importantly, where is God taking us as a church? And how do we flesh that out in a way that we can all rally behind um, and, and, and step into that? Uh, in March, I'm going to be going down to Ohio, and uh, there's a church down there. Some of you remember the Off the Wall crew that came up here uh, last summer. They um, brought some teenagers and some adults and did some service projects. Many of our, several of our young people, uh, Lauren Countryman and Cora Bird and some others, have gone to Off the Wall. It's a discipleship uh, training for, for young, kind of college-aged people. And I want to go down there and work with the leadership team and learn about some of the discipleship uh, principles that could be implemented here, potentially even seeing kind of an Off the Wall program here in Soldatna. So, you know, we, we have things available. We're pushing forward to know how we can do some of those things better and add some new things. But at the end of it all, uh, some of you might look at all of this and go, listen, I've done this before. I've tried this before. And it didn't work. Or I was hurt pretty deeply. Because that's the thing, when you get a bunch of sinners together, it can go south. Like, it can. And, and I or nobody can um, or will protect you from, from all of that um, but I do have your back, um, and the elders here and, and the people here have your back, and what my prayer is, is that Peninsula Grace is a place where it's okay to not be okay, um, that we come here, uh, sinners saved by grace, called saints because of Jesus, um, not because we're perfect, and, and, I, and what I will say for my own journey is that the reward far outweighs the risk, like it is worth it to press in, to explore community deeper, I'm not telling you how to do it. Community can look in all different ways. The Lord works where two or more are gathered. That's the main thing. Um, but let's take a step toward community. And the last thing I want to say is this. Um, later, a few minutes into this, later into the service, we're going to take uh, the bread and the cup. And this is a time, I mean, we talk about getting together in community, but remember what's Solomon's whole point in this book? It's all meaningless. It's the chasing of the wind if we don't take these things from the Father's hand. And community devoid of Jesus is meaningless. We are made one. We are united because of the bread and the cup, the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled for us. We are united as one in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the one that knits us together. Without him, there is no reconciliation to God. And without him, there is no reconciliation with each other. And that's the New Testament perspective that we have that Solomon didn't as he wrote this. So let's press into community as the Spirit leads us. One Lord, one faith. Let's pray. Father, um, we know that you've created us for relationship. That's why you put Adam and Eve in the garden in the first place, is to walk with them. But Lord, then Adam and Eve sinned, and there came separation. And the isolation and the envy and the loneliness, all of that stems because of the fall, Father. But, but, the bad news is followed up with good news, that your son came, died on a cross, to reconnect what was disconnected, to restore what was broken, to reconcile what had been alienated. Now, as your creatures, we can know God as Daddy, and we can know each other as brothers and sisters, centered around Jesus. 
the only real community, Father, is through your Son, and I pray that we would fall on Jesus as our source for everything, and in our endeavor to follow him and to fall on his grace, may we do that, not as one, because two are better than one. May we do that in community together. And Lord, I don't know, as our body is listening to this this morning, I don't know how your Holy Spirit is convicting and moving but I pray that we would be responsive to that direction and that we would press in to where he's leading us into community with one another in this gospel endeavor for your glory. We do all of these things by the grace and by the power of your son. And so it's his song that we sing. Amen.